Um, we are going to be digging into a, a third, the third part of our sermon series. And by the end of today, we're going to be more than halfway through this sermon series that we're talking about uh, throughout January called Your Story, God's Glory. Um, it's, it's a series that really hits us all, I think, in the chest because it's a series about purpose. What we're talking about and learning about are the questions that we all find ourselves asking. Why am I here? What am I doing with this life? Is, is what I'm doing a good investment of my time? Is there some greater purpose that I'm made for? And those kinds of things uh, that, that we all at some point or at many points throughout our lives ask about ourselves and the lives that we are living. We have groups that have started this month that are running concurrent to this series and talking in uh, deeper layers about the topics I'm bringing up on Sunday mornings. And, and so you can visit the story.church slash groups to get connected to those. And as always, if you'd like to invest in or support the story's mission and ministries, you can visit the story.church slash give this morning. All right, listen, I hope that you uh, were able to catch last week's message. It wasn't a normal message, right? It was um, Greg Kelly and I together on this stage talking about finding purpose in your pain, finding purpose in your pain. And this young man who, who lived through hell on earth, spent three years in prison and two more after that, just in limbo, waiting to hear about his fate after he was wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted of the most heinous crimes imaginable. He sat here on this stage and told us that it was in prison that he became the man God wanted him to be all along. It was in prison that he discovered who he really was in Christ. When all the distractions were gone, when there was nothing to, to get him off the path, no flashing lights, no screens, no, nothing else going on, just him and God, and that was a lesson for me, man. I don't know about you, but distractions were a problem every day for me. And I think distractions are by and large the number one enemy when it comes to finding your purpose. You gotta mitigate distractions, get rid of as many distractions as you can if you want to know really why you're here, what God has you here to do. So if you've looked at this question before in your life and, and maybe you've looked at the question of purpose through the lens of, I don't know, a secular worldview. Let's say you went to the bookstore and looked for books on purpose that, uh, that, that just, you know, were in the self-help section or whatever. You, what you would find is something very different from what we're gonna be here talking about. Because the biblical viewpoint about purpose, your purpose, is antithetical to much of what you'll read and, and hear in secular circles. And that, I don't mean that judgmentally or in an elitist way. I just want you to know that if what you hear me saying, what you read in the Bible seems foreign, it's because in 21st century America, it very much is foreign. You know, if you've searched the aisles at, uh, or the shelves at, at Barnes & Noble, you found books that had you at the center of your search for purpose. So if you want to find your purpose, look within. Search in your own heart. Some of the most famous and popular books, even recent ones about finding your purpose start and really end with you, who you are, who you really are inside. It's for you to find yourself. That's what the pursuit of purpose means. You know, books like Untamed, uh, Unleashing the Cheetah Within You or something, you know, or uh, Russell Simmons's book, like Do You, you know, like just be the real you, discover who you really are and that's your purpose. The Bible looks at this very differently. The Bible, as we've learned the last two weeks, and we're gonna to continue to talk about today, the Bible 
says your question about purpose, your purpose begins with God, not with you. And so you were created for Christ. Through Christ and for Christ, you were created to become like Christ and to delight God with the way you live your life here. That's the long and the short of it. And and it really doesn't put you at the center, but it puts God at the center. And, And that might come as a little bit of a shock or an insult to you if you've lived with yourself at the center your whole life and you've been told that's what it's all about. I don't want it to come across like that. I want that to be received as good news. It should take pressure off. It's not up to you to achieve it or to perform up to someone's standards or to understand who you really are, like, you know, some guru tells you to. No, it's, it's just up to you to really get outside of yourself and understand who you are in Christ, who you are according to your creator. So today we're gonna to be talking uh, in our next step in the series about finding purpose in your passion, all right? Finding purpose in your passion. So Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, all right? So when you read or hear these passages in the Bible, it's not, I'm not ordering you to believe them. You can take them or leave, or leave them, but, but I want you to know specifically and exactly what the Bible says about who you are and what your purpose is. You were created by God. You are his handiwork. You were created to do good works, which he destined you for and prepared you for. All right, so this is the vision that the Bible gives us about why we're here. So one of the clues that I think we can look to to pursue our our true purpose is exploring what our passions are. And what I mean by passions are the things that we do um, or the habits we have or the rituals we take part in or the people we're around that really set our hearts on fire, that really awaken us. And if you think about it long enough, you can probably come up with a few examples of what your passions are by definition, by that definition, right? So what is it that you do? Um, what kinds of things are, do you participate in? What do you look forward to that, that really just gets your blood pumping? What makes you feel alive? What makes you feel like truly human, you know? And, and, and what we, what we know about passions is that having them is part of what it means to be human. Even the psychiatric and medical community affirms this because a person who claims no passions whatsoever is said to be at risk of or symptomatic of something like depression, right? So a symptom, a key symptom of depression is you're not passionate about anything. What gets you up in the morning? What makes your blood really flow? You know, what makes you feel alive? Well, nothing. Well, you might be depressed, right? So we know something's off when someone doesn't have these passions. Most of us have passions in life and most of us can probably name what some of those um, are. Now, biblically speaking, your passions, the things you're most passionate about were given to you by God. God, like a designer, like an architect or a programmer, hardwired you that way, you specifically or whatever combination of passions that you have, God meant for you to have them. Now again, take it or leave it, but this is undoubtedly what the Bible says about the things that really light your fire. 
right? So, so the things that get you going were, were given to you or hardwired into you, into you by God who created you that way. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So whatever it is that came to mind when I asked you about your passions, God wired you for those things. Now, while we all have passions, I think we also know that not all passions are created equal. Not all passions are equally um, valid, worthy, or good. In fact, some of the passions God wired us for have over time, for whatever reason, become distorted. And so if something came to mind that you might not describe as godly or good, if something came to mind that you wouldn't tell me, your pastor, in person <laughs> about, right? Some passion that really gets you going, but you don't want to tell Pastor Eric about it, like that's probably a passion that was planted in you as something good, but over time, for whatever reason, it became something not good, something distorted. It, it grew in a direction that was not godly, that, that was not intended, okay? So some of your passions are going to be intentionally, inherently meaningful and consequential. Some of your passions are gonna be a blessing to the world around you, but some of your passions will not. Some of your passions aren't really passions or in a God-given way anymore. They've just become empty distractions. So the, the worst distractions that you will face are probably, were probably originally passions that God gave you that were not nourished or nurtured in the right way. So the big question for today, one of them anyway, is how can you distinguish between a God-given passion that is good and a, a sort of worldly distraction that is uh, you know, something other than what God intended. How do we make that distinction um, between good passions and ones that have become empty and wasteful, all right? So um, the, the first thing I'll say is this, uh, and if you have those uh, small group study guides, you can fill in these blanks. Your passions point toward your purpose, your passions can point towards your purpose, but <laughs> be careful because sometimes passions become distractions. Your passions will point towards your true purpose, but sometimes your true passions can become distractions. All right, so how can we distinguish true passions from mere distractions? First, I would say this, this is gonna come as no surprise to anyone who knows me or, or who's at church, right? The first way I think is to look to the word, look to the word of God. I know there's some issues and some things in life where the Bible just doesn't seem all that crystal clear. Some political issues or you know, modern day kinds of issues that the Bible just seems a little murky or, or muddy on, or there's some gray area or some perceived gray area in the Bible, listen. When it comes to the difference between a God-given passion and some kind of an empty or idolatrous distraction, the Bible could not be clearer. 
on these things. And so the Bible's always there for you. You can always open it. Sometimes the distractions that I'm talking about are the very thing that will keep you from opening it and discover that you're in the vice grip of some evil distraction, right? Or some pattern. But it's always there for you to open and discover the difference between the true passions God designed in your heart and some of the perversions of those passions that have become distractions. So uh, looking at Galatians 5, for example, the Apostle Paul in Galatians provided this list of of distractions. Y'all can look it up at home. I want you to kind of open your own Bibles uh, at home if you can. But you can see the list, things like sexual immorality, right? Or idolatry, discord in relationships, anger issues, jealousy or envy of others, selfishness or selfish ambition, drunkenness or being out of control of your own faculties because you're under some influence of some substance, right? The, the point being, if your habits or uh, your patterns of behavior or your activity, whatever, leads you to these things, whether it's anger, idolatry, discord in relationships, drunkenness, etc., then what you probably have is not something purposeful, but just mere distractions. You're probably living into something that God intended for your good, but you've allowed that, or, or maybe you've even nourished that, um, that, that kind of uh, uh, growth in the wrong direction, right? So that it became, it became distorted, it became a distortion of what God intended, all right? So um, Paul said at the end of that passage, by the way, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's like, you won't go to heaven. And I know that's really harsh. And we're always like, you know, going to heaven is all about grace and it's not about your works and all this stuff. But I, I think what Paul is saying is if you are continuing to chase after these empty distractions that are becoming idols to you, then it really doesn't matter where you spend your Sunday mornings or what you say you believe because you don't really believe Jesus is your Lord if you continue to chase after the things that break his heart. And so, and so we have to be very careful with the things we're calling passions. And sometimes this world will applaud us for chasing passions that long ago became mere distractions because we're being true to ourselves. No, it's not about being true to yourself. Yourself, your appetites will change daily by the minute. It's about being true to God. And you can search the word of God to find what that looks like um, and, and what, what passions are pleasing to God, all right? So it does make sense. Paul's harshness makes some sense there. If God gave us this one life, if he granted us this and, and, and created all of this beauty and, and hardwired us so intricately and so uniquely, you are a unique individual person God intended to make. And to take that intentionality, to take all of that intricate detail and then just to waste it on these distractions that don't really matter or yield any results that are pleasing to God. I, I could see how maybe our distractions become disgusting to God rather than, uh, than a delight to God, all right? So while chasing empty distractions might disgust him, according to the Bible, what we find is that pursuing your passions, according to scripture, will delight him, which is why you're here 
I mean, if I could sum up the reason for our existence, for your existence, in just a few words, you exist to delight God and to delight in God. He gave you these passions to chase after. Let's read together Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the kind of result that pursuing the true passions God gave you, God designed you for, will yield. And and so, you know, I I suppose you you could say... um, a distinguishing factor would be if there's something that you do that, that makes you feel alive and it's something you can do in the name of the Lord Jesus, as Paul writes here, then you might have a, a true passion, a pure passion on your hands. But if you've got something that supposedly makes you feel alive or gets your heart pumping, gets the heart rate up, right? But you couldn't do that thing in the name of Jesus with a straight face, then you found your distinction you found the difference (laughs) between a true passion of God and a mere distraction of this world. Your God-given passions will always lead you closer to God rather than further away from him. And if if you're ever stuck and needing answers about which things delight him and which things disgust him, open the word of God for yourself. The Bible is always clear on these matters. Second, how do we distinguish passions from distractions, search your heart. Look to the word and search your heart. Now, I know that sounds super cheesy. I know, (laughs) search your heart. It sounds like a 90s power ballad, right? So uh, just hang in there with me. The Bible, when the Bible speaks of your heart, it it doesn't necessarily mean your feelings. When the Bible speaks of your heart, it means your truest self, your deepest, truest self, um, one, one scholar that I read this week said, in the Bible, your heart is where your conscience lives. And I like that because um, several different times throughout scripture, uh, we have this idea that, that God wrote his law on the human heart. And if we, if we have a conscience and every human being has a conscience, we already know what God's will is, what his is, what is desires, what his law is right? That's Romans 2.15. It's written on every human heart, all right? So whether you're a believer or not, your conscience can inform you. And so when we're trying to distinguish between something we're doing that brings us life, whether it's a a passion from God or whether it's just a distraction, we can search our heart. We can check our conscience, on, on what we're doing and, and we'll find some, I think some answers there. Now, some of the passions you had, as I said before, became distractions, right? I know people, for example, that um, can't stop shopping. 
right? So just so I'm clear and I don't get in trouble later, I'm not talking about anyone that I'm related to or married to or anything else, all right? Other people, okay? So I mean that, seriously. <laughs> but there are some people that just are never satisfied with what they have. They always need something else, something better, something newer, something nicer. And I think even that desire used to be a passion. The seed God planted in that person was good. It was a desire to, to be beautiful or a desire to see beauty or a, des, or a desire to be accepted in community. But over time, that became something less than godly. So it became about, you know, this constant need for affirmation of others. It became about beauty as an idol rather than a signpost. You know the difference? Like an idol is something that you put in God's place. A signpost is something that points you toward God. Beauty is intended to be a signpost, not an idol. But whenever someone can't stop shopping or can't stop updating their, you know, their look or their whatever, like there's, it's always a sign that a, a good seed, a meaningful, purposeful seed grew distorted and, and became something less than what it was intended to be. I think about men and... Um, <laughs> Boys and video games. Oh man, this is just a real problem that no one takes seriously because it's just games. You know, it's just games. Uh, and, and no one ever died playing Call of Duty, at least not in real life. Lots of people died in the game. That's the point. But, but you know, I know it's easy to say, look, things like shopping or video games are just innocuous. You know, it's just a way to pass the time. It's a way to have fun. And you're right, those things can be a nice way to have fun until they become the Lord of your life. Until you go to bed thinking about them or wake up thinking about them until you end up spending more time doing those things than anything purposeful, right? But, but I, I think about men that play games like Call of Duty or, or NBA 2K, whatever, or Madden. Like the real seed that God planted that grew into this distortion was a need for community, a need to be with other men. Most guys that I know that are still playing video games only will play when there are other friends of theirs online to play with. They just want to be in community. It's not about, it's not about winning and losing. It's about being in community and it's about being on mission with your boys. Those are good seats. They just grow up wrong. They were just nourished in the wrong way or, or nurtured in, the, in, a, in a way that didn't let them thrive like they were intended to. We're just giving ourselves filler with things like video games and other things. No, I don't mean to pile on gamers, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, they have their place. But when they take over, it's ugly. And, and where this really, the rubber really meets the road here is when we realize that, um, that one day we'll be held accountable. The, you know, throughout the Bible, cover to cover, there are these, um, signals that the Bible sends us about uh, how we're spending our precious time on earth and how one day we'll stand before the judgment throne of Christ. Now, I know again, maybe you've been told that if you're a good person and you, you believe in Jesus and you go to church and give your tithe or whatever, then you don't have to stand before any judgment throne. Only the people in trouble do. Nah, that's not what the Bible says. Bible says we will all stand before the judgment throne of Christ and give an accounting. Now, those of us that are in Christ, praise God by his grace, won't, won't face hell because of the ways we've failed. 
but there will still be a reckoning where we stand before Christ and give him an accounting. And that will be a real experience that we'll have one day, according to Jesus and many others in the Bible. All right, so uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So when we say that you can distinguish real passion from God and uh, you know, uh, empty distraction from the world by searching your conscience, this is what I mean. The things you're spending your time doing, the things we're you know, obsessed with or wasting time on in this life. When we stand before Christ, will we hold our heads high and be proud of what we're doing? <laughs> or will we hang our heads in shame because of the time we're spending on distractions, right? Just imagine standing before the judgment throne of Christ and he's checking the records, you know, <laughs> going through all of the, uh, the records of your life. I don't know if, they, if they're paper or paperless in heaven, I'm not sure, but, but he's going through your records and, and he's like, let's see, let's see, 5,000 hours spent in prayer, not bad, not bad. <laughs> oh, 500,000 hours spent uh, in Call of Duty, right? How will that feel? What will that experience be like for you standing before the judgment throne of Christ? It's uh, 500,000 hours spent at various Aggie rituals. <laughs> How will that feel in that moment, you know? Or even more seriously, in a more grave sense, like 500,000 hours spent on illicit websites or watching porn or whatever, just wasting away this one good life God's given you on this green earth. How will it feel to have spoiled this gift instead of chasing after the true and pure passions, those seeds God planted in you um, when he made you who you are? So the third way that we can distinguish between true passions and mere distractions is by examining the fruit examining the fruit, right? In other words, what kind of return on investment? You know, some of y'all are finance guys, businessmen, businesswomen. You probably talk about return on investment all the time. What kind of return are you getting on the investment of your time, treasure, and your passion, your energy, right? What kind of return are you seeing? So the, the ROI that you'll see on God-given passions that you invest in, when it's truly of God and you give your full heart to it, when you put your whole self in, into it, the return that you'll see will look a lot like the fruit of the spirit that Paul listed in Galatians 5. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of a God-given passion that you're chasing. Um, that the fruit will not only be pleasing to God and, and life-giving to you, it will be a blessing to the world around you. Your neighbors will notice the difference between you chasing a God-given passion and you bowing the knee to some uh, worldly, empty distraction. There is um, a young man that goes to church here at the story He's been coming for several months now and watching online for months before that. And he, <laughs> he was, strangely enough, a contestant on The Bachelorette, all right? So 
ladies, before you email or whatever, I don't know if he's still single, okay? He didn't win the Bachelorette thing, so maybe, but um, I'm not sure. Season 15 of The Bachelorette, he was on the show, and he was, he kind of had a bad experience on that show, like, even though he's, like, super charming, very handsome, and just a, a good guy, he was kind of railroaded on that show, and, and um, in the aftermath of being on The Bachelorette, this Young man, our brother, like he was bullied online for months and in some ways continues to be to a lesser extent now. But in the months following his appearance on The Bachelorette, completely lambasted and bullied online on every social media platform. And it really affected him. And at the same time, he was dealing with some serious health problems. He's always suffered with something called lymphedema which is a really debilitating and degenerative disease that uh, takes away some key like motor functions and just it's very painful to live with. And um, even though this, this young man is, you know, I don't mean this to sound weird, but he's super handsome guy, probably had women chasing him his whole life. He could have made his focal point, his passion in life, chasing women. Actually, not even chasing women, just being chased by women. That could have been his purpose that he chose. Wouldn't have been of God. It wouldn't have honored God. Might have disgusted God, but he could have had that life. And many people choose that life. He did not. This young man's an incredible athlete. He played college basketball. He could have spent his whole life in sports, you know, just chasing after sports and making sports his, uh, his most important thing. And Probably could have been successful at that, but that's not who he is. He didn't chase after that. Even though if I had that ability, I might. You know, many people would. He, he could have chased after the fame of being a social media influencer. He's got tens of thousands of followers. He could have just continued to chase after that, that goal, that mission. It wouldn't have been of God. It wouldn't have been, uh, you know, very productive from a biblical sense, but it might have been fun. Might've felt good for a while, but he didn't choose that path. Instead, this, this young man in the aftermath of everything he's been through, every kind of suffering that he's undergone because of this disease, just dozens of surgeries that he's had to have because of lymphedema. He has made it his life's mission to make as many people in the world aware of what it's like to suffer with lymphedema and to extend just a compassionate embrace to everyone in the world who's suffering with that same disease. And so he is spreading the word about new treatments that are available. He's spreading the word about the pain involved with lymphedema and, and the hope, even as he himself is facing some very tough choices about whether he gets to keep his leg or not. Like that's how serious it's gotten. And yet he has refused to look inward. He has continued to push outward and he travels the state and beyond the state of Texas to share the word about lymphedema and to give people who feel hopeless a sense of hope. And that's what it means to live with purpose, the true purpose and passion of God. I also think about, um, about our own Nathan Bonus, right? Who, who has no idea that I'm about to say this. Uh, and he leads us in songs every Sunday. And we're so blessed, not just by his talent, but just by his presence and his spirit and and you may not know this, but when we found Nathan, he was mostly playing out across the state of Texas and beyond playing 
amazing country music. He was one of the up and coming local country stars. He was known as just a pure Texas country voice. And he had a future in it. He was on radio stations all across the state. He was writing songs all the time, recording videos. And it was incredible to watch. But he knew that's not the extent of his purpose. That's not the fullest extent of uh, God's design for his life. Nathan sensed that God was calling him to something more, that that life he was living was okay. It was a, a sign of something more going on, but that wasn't the end point. And when God opened the door for Nathan to become a, a director of worship and a, a writer of worship songs, he, he, he went into it like with all of his heart, even though it meant letting go of that identity in some ways that he had before as this cool Texas country rock star. He, he leaned into the calling God set before him, not just to do music and to do music well, but to honor God with the gifts God gave him, to share the message God put on his heart with the world that you're created for more, that God loves you, that God's forgiven you, that God wants you to become the person he designed you specifically to be. And so I thank God for Nathan and for all the stories that are in a, a part of this story church community. And you may be one of those stories. Maybe you were floundering for a while and just not quite sure what you were doing. There were things you enjoyed, but they weren't really giving you life. But then there was a turning point, a moment when you realized you were made for more and you couldn't keep living the way that you were. If that's you, then praise God. Never stop telling your story to the people around you because there are others in our midst every day who are now where you used to be and need to know the way forward. God created you, if you're watching right now, for a purpose far beyond you might even imagine. He designed you intricately, specifically to be who you are, to have the desires, ambitions, and passions that you have. Maybe some of those passions have gotten a little off the rails. Maybe they've become distractions instead of passions. God can redeem them. God can restore you to be the person he created you to be at the start, if you let him. So I just would ask three things of you. First, I would ask that you do this work we've talked about today of distinguishing between the true passions God's planted in your heart and these empty distractions. Second, this is the hard one. Work to rein in the empty distractions. Be self-disciplined. Govern yourself in the, the way you spend your time. Choose to deny yourself some things in the moment so that you can have the best things forever. So distinguish between your passions and distractions. Rein in those distractions that are not giving you life and invest your whole heart in the things you know God has you here to do the things that yield good fruit, the fruit of his spirit, the things that will outlive you when your time on this earth is done, the things you will one day stand before the throne of Christ and rejoice because the things you chose to do in this life brought him joy and delighted him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this opportunity to learn and grow to be real with ourselves and each other and with you, 
We confess that we have not always chased after the right things. We have allowed some of our good passions to become unhelpful, unhealthy distractions. We ask that you would just prune us, Lord, prune the tree, cut back, help us to cut back on the things that aren't giving life or yielding good fruit and help us to invest our whole heart in uh, living for you. Lord, we know that you gave us this one good life on this one green earth. You designed us intricately, specifically to be who we are. And you have some great purpose and plan for us if our eyes and hearts will be open to it. So we trust you now, Father. We choose to trust you as we set our eyes on Christ and nothing less. In his name we pray, amen.